Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. It's great, Michael. Wonderful to be with you. Um, and thank you for inviting me. Fantastic. So you're involved in a very interesting area, both in your work at uh, Oxford and in, through your own company that you run with regards to leadership. So as a starting point, what have we seen post-COVID with regards to the changes with leadership? Have you seen any trends, any differences? So I wouldn't necessarily say this was just post-COVID, but I think COVID almost cemented this. And, and I would say that disruption is now the new normal. Um, I think ever since the financial crisis, I've seen more and more change happening with the people I've interviewed, with you know my own experience. And I think you know some people thought we would go back to the status quo, something yes. that was stable. And I think what we've seen happen is just change is normal now and disruption is normal. I can't think of an industry that's not facing some form of disruption, is in disruption, doesn't have the threat of disruption. So I think that's changed the type of leadership that's needed. Um, if I think back over the next, over sorry, over the last 30 years, you got to the top of an organization by being very good at delivering within the status quo. So good yes. at sales, good at performance. And I think that's changed. And I think therefore a different type of leadership is needed. And what type of leadership is needed? So I think first and foremost, this is what's come through from my own experience, interviewing people on my own podcast, but also coaching um, CEOs and ministers yeah. Um, from governments around the world. I think the first thing is it's people who embrace disruption, don't reject or don't fear disruption, but they accept it and they focus on that. Um, I think, you know, the other thing we've seen with leaders is that they have to really locate where their organization is positioned in the wider context of global challenges and stakeholders. So you can't ignore climate change. You can't ignore things that, get that you know, that what's going on with the younger generation that's coming up through society. Um, so you have to think, why do we exist? Um, and so um, when you put yourself there, you, you realize the world is unstable. And if you're going to deliver high performance, you have to work with that kind of set of challenges. And if you don't, they'll come back and bite you. Um, and so it's, it's not just about purpose because it's a good thing to do necessarily. It's also about purpose because that gets you out of how you might have worked historically and gets you thinking about how you might need to work in the future. When you use the word unstable, do you want to elaborate on that? How do you define unstable? How do you see it as being unstable? Yeah, so I think I think from a number of different perspectives. Firstly, industry boundaries. Um, they used to be quite clear. Um, and I think they no longer are. So where do I, where do my competitors come from? Where will my future competitors come from? There are more and more, I would say, ambitious companies like Amazon, like Google, like others who are pushing into different industries. So the boundaries are no longer defined and the competitors are no longer defined. So I would say that's one area of instability. 
geopolitics um i wonder if we look back on the year 2000 as being the high watermark of globalization and global stability um it certainly feels very different now with the challenges between the us and china um it feels very different in terms of the war in ukraine and, and i think there's something else going on which i see when i work with smaller companies or companies or sorry smaller countries or countries that haven't necessarily been at the top table more of them are kind of standing on their own two feet they're no longer wanting to be kind of pushed around by china or the us they want to find their own future um, and i think they also want to find their own companies um, and so the notion that you can be in the US or Europe and you can sell to the rest of the world, which that was what the 20th century was about. I'm not sure the 21st century is going to be like that. We're seeing some of the fastest growing economies in the world being places like Saudi Arabia, um, like Nigeria, um, you, you know. Um, and so some of these other countries, I would say, starting to stand on their own two feet um, mm. and no longer being... Um, so dependent on other economies or the bigger economies around the world. In many ways, that's a positive sign, right? Because you have more markets able to speak for themselves, stand for themselves, and so on. And you have more gravitational centers of commerce that you can build businesses around. I do want to switch gears a little bit here, right? And I get your take on this. By most measures, the world is better off than it's ever been in the history of mankind. The life expectancies literacy rates, illiteracy rates, and so on. I mean, we've managed to not eradicate poverty, obviously, but we've brought down the numbers significantly. My question to you is, why is the tone of leadership discussions say, so negative yeah. when we're doing well? I mean, climate change is obviously a problem, but we haven't lost the one climate change. I'm sure we'll do things to fix it. Why do you feel the tone tends to be negative today in most leadership discussions? It's a great question, isn't it? Because I think I don't disagree with your view of that data. Um, I mean, I think we'd have to think about social media. We'd have to think about the negativity bias in the media. Um, I also think, you know, if you think about the technologies that have been developed in the 20th century yes. and the 21st century, there's a sense of contagion. And what do I mean by that? If you think about the first generation, which was nuclear weapons, warfare was not located in small geographies. It became a potential global thing. And we've yes. seen that resurface with the war in Ukraine. If you think about computer viruses, they can spread globally. If you think about pandemics, they can spread globally. If you think about the media, it spreads globally. So in a sense, we're more aware of what can go wrong. And some of that technology creates more global risk. And so things are no longer localized. Um, and that's probably hard for us to understand. If you think historically, we've not been like that. You know, we've been much mm -hmm. more local in our perspective. And so perhaps it's that we now feel overwhelmed and we see far more of what could go wrong. Um, and you have this strange paradox, which you kind of identify um where you know on so many measures we're doing well and i think you know i'm hopeful on climate change if you think about humanity we've we've overcome many difficult things before we have incredible creativity um in the face of a challenge there's huge economic benefits to addressing the climate challenges with the new technologies for the companies and countries that get it right 
that become the new centers of gravity around energy. There's an enormous promise there um, in terms of jobs and yes. contribution to the economy. Um, so there's there's a lot to play for. Yes, absolutely. There's someone that's going to be listening to this somewhere in the world soon, and they're going to be asking themselves, how do I know I'm approaching leadership in the right way? What would you say are the markers or indicators to signal to a leader that they are pursuing leadership in a healthy way, given the challenges and changes taking place? How would they self-assess themselves? Yeah, I'm going to base this on actual data that I have, and it might sound overly simplistic. Um, and I can unpack it if you want me to, but I think it's a lot is down to our capacity to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and what do I mean by that? Not just listen to the people who are around you at the top of the organization. Yes. Listen four or five levels down the hierarchy. Be proactive about that. Not just listen within your industry or within the normal people that you relate to within your profession, but listen outside of that. Not just listen to what's said, but listen to what's not said. Um, and, and, it, and in many ways, it's not just listening. It's then how do you bring about changes as a result of what you've heard? There's a dynamic, yes. I would also call it dynamic presence. Um, what are you present to? What are you listening to? Um, and it, it, it's, it, it's come up over and over again when we've asked people about what the most critical skill is. Um, and somebody said to me, if it's so simple, why is it so hard? Um, and I think it's so hard because so many of our assumptions, um, so much of our own ego um, yes. gets in the way of really being able to hear other people. And as a result of that, projects that we've invested in in the company go wrong and we realize too late because we wait for the data to come up through the you know, the normal way that happens to a, a stakeholder board or something like that. And actually, if we'd listened to people, we would have got a, a much earlier sense of what of, of what was going wrong. So um, it, it sounds simple. I actually think it's really hard. And it's and in today's world, it's actually really quite complicated. And I'm sure when you say listen, you mean broadly be open to other opinions of reading other opinions and so on. So listening means being open, right? It's not just listening. Yes, exactly. It's an inner state of curiosity, of empathy, of interest. And I don't just mean a static state of listening. I mean yes. a dynamic listening, which also responds um, and also sees the energy and the potential in people um, and knows how to ignite, knows how to motivate, knows how to understand what people might be really good at, knows how to weave people into a, a vision for what that organization might be um, and where it might go and what it might do. So an example for the listeners would be that if I as a leader knew that there is someone in my team who often has a counter argument that turns out to be true, but is very shy and hesitant to speak up I would have the skills to engage them, to draw them in. Is that a good way of thinking about it? I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I would put it even further that a practice here is how do I put myself in places where I am uncomfortable, where mm -hmm. I am the other, where I'm not in the dominant position of power, um, and where I am genuinely curious about other people and how they live and other perspectives. Um, 
Well, I think it's, you know, it's easy to live in an echo chamber and it's easy to surround yourself, particularly if you're in a leadership role, you're in a position of power. And so how do you, how do you make sure that you're not just in a self-referencing network of individuals? How do you put yourself into a place where it's going to be uncomfortable. So let me give you a for example. If you're the CEO of an energy company that predominantly operates in oil and gas, are you prepared to go to a climate activist conference um, and listen and take some of the fact that they might not be happy with you? It's not personal, um, but where you are the other in there, you're not the one that's in the in the position of power. Um, um, and you're really able to listen to people and listen to their concerns. I think there is a group of leaders who are beginning to do this um, and they're transcending polarities. They are, you know, in a position where they can see where solutions might come from um, and they are willing to get beyond some of the binary conflict that particularly is prevalent on social media. Being a non-American and looking in, it would seem to me that we seem to be going in the opposite direction, whereby, I mean, I've not been to an American university recently, so I'm just saying what I've read, whereby safe spaces are encouraged and people are not encouraged to be exposed to counter ideas. It would also seem to be that even amongst leaders today, the majority seem to be following a narrative and not open to being exposed to counter ideas. So what do you say makes perfect sense? And I think this will lead to better leadership, but it would seem to be that generally, at least in the United States, we're moving in the opposite direction. Yeah, and I think in the UK, it's there's something similar happening as well. Um, you, you know, there's a bifurcation that happens within politics. So you're either a Republican or you're a Democrat, you're either a this or you're that. And that notion that I can find solutions that transcend those polarities, um, that we can find solutions that take us into the future, because that's essentially what creativity is. It's what yes. progress is. Um, I, I don't think we've lost it. I think, you know, we're at a particular point in history where we need to remember the power of some of these ideas and reinvent them for today, because I don't think it's a case of harking back to times gone by, because yes. as we know, that wasn't all at all perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but there are certain, you know, there's certain principles around diversity of thought, um, and but also with a lot of respect. And I think that's also missing in many cases. Um, there's a kind of a social media mob mentality around some of these things, which stops civilized conversation, which can lead to um, you, you need, need to new ideas and new perspectives, which are neither, it's not your idea and it's not my idea. It becomes something that comes from the combination of both. It's about being civil to each other. The starting point is before you listen to someone whose viewpoints you oppose, you need to respect them. Therefore, you'll be more open to listening to them. And I think the other part, and tell me how true this is in your research, sometimes we we try to publicly attach ourselves to a movement to identify with it because we want to show that we belong to something or we belong to some kind of movement. But oftentimes we do it in a way that's uncivil. So what you're saying is true. We haven't lost all of this. We are seem to be drifting in the wrong direction. 
But my hope, and your research maybe can point to this, my hope is that this is not an unchangeable trend. Things yeah, and I move think, back and forth across generations. Yeah, and I think some of this is about, as you say, it's about being respectful of others. It's also about things like kindness and compassion. We're seeing these words come into the lexicon of leadership, where I would say 20, 30 years ago, you know, you would not find them there. Yes, um, it is true. So words like curiosity, um, um, words like leading beyond ego and understanding my own ego. So there are some countercurrents that are at work today. Um, and, you know, I don't tend to place a lot of credit on what I hear in so on or what I read on social media and yes. what I hear in the news. Um, I think there is a far more positive energy out there, um, particularly in the world of organizations, than sometimes is given credit to credit for. Yeah, we have come a long way. Sometimes just for fun, I like to read a Harvard Business Review article from the 50s and 60s, <laughs> reading a piece on what makes a good wife for a CEO. <laughs> it was one right. of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. But this was just the 1960s, right? It's not that long ago. It's only 60 years ago. So we have made progress, but we still have a lot of progress to be made. I think that's the point that needs to be emphasized. Yes, and I think in some ways, the more progress you make, the more you realize how far we could go and what we need to address. And as you said, you know, we're in the midst of a huge technological revolution with climate change. Um, and I suspect, I'm not an expert in these things, that there are technologies that we haven't even seen yet that mm -hmm. are going to be critical to our future. Um, yes, I'm waiting for warp drive to be invented. Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're going to see a huge change in the way the global economy works. And as I said before, and we touched on in this conversation, you know, countries standing on their own two feet, finding their own agendas, finding what they believe in and what they believe to be important, you know, building companies yes. rather than just importing um, or exporting raw materials and then re-importing expensive products, but actually doing the value adding work and the, and the jobs that go with that. If I'm a leader, how do I know that I'm an active listener? How do I know I'm practicing this skill? Because most leaders I speak to think they're doing everything right. And not because they're egotistical, but because they've just been led to believe that. But how would I know? How do I test myself to say, I am being open, I am listening, I am putting myself in uncomfortable conditions? Yeah. So there's one very simple, I would call it inner switch that you can do. Um, and it's about using what we call open questions. You're asking me open questions. They're not yes or no answers. Mm -hmm. um, and the other technique is um, repeat back to the person what you think they've said. So, for example, if I'd asked you, how was your day? And, and, and you told me, I would say, well, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, you struggled with a project at work. You're finding this difficult. This went really well. Um, and you'd be amazed at how that makes people feel heard and understood. Um, and also, if I'm listening to you, because I know I'm going to have to repeat back to you what you've said, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next, which is often what yes. we're doing. And so there's a there's a powerful, powerful inner switch. I think then beyond that is how do I develop compassion for you? 
How do I develop curiosity into your situation? Um, and, and that creates the psychological safety that will be the foundation upon which people can, can build a sense that they are comfortable speaking up. Yes. I found that technique actually works well, even in personal relationships. Yes, Because sometimes so. when you say something to someone, they snap back. So the first thing I do when they snap back is I say, for a second, let's just pause. Tell me what you heard me say and how I said it. Because yeah. what I say, I think it comes across in a certain way, but someone hears something completely different. Yes. And it's yeah. a powerful way to break it. The other technique I've learned is that what you're saying is very true, and I hope more people practice it. But sometimes the person you want to engage doesn't want to engage you because they have you know, an opposing political viewpoint or social viewpoint. A technique I've worked on and something I've used a lot is when I want to engage someone who doesn't engage me, my starting point is always to say something along the lines of, you know, I know you believe this and you're trying to do the best you can knowing what you know, and we both want the same outcome for success. So knowing that, tell me why you think this. I notice yep. when you honor their viewpoint, even if you disagree with it and you see the good in what they're trying to do, people are more open to engaging you. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and uh, I think the way you described it is very, very powerful. Um, I would add to that and by saying, what is the impulse behind what they're trying to do here? And That's generally point, yes. speaking, what you find is most of the time, the impulse is good. The method might be clumsy. They yeah. might be coming across in a very angry way. But the impulse, the prime motivation um, is one of, of goodness. And, and when you're at the level of the impulse, what you find is the shared humanity. And we end up having a lot more in common than we thought we did. Yeah, when I've probed people, when they've done things in a seemingly hostile or clumsy way, as you say, I often find they're not even thinking about me. They're just trying to survive and make it. They really yes. just want to survive in the world. They're not trying to hurt you. You're just in the way, actually. Yes. <laughs> they're trying to get around you. So when we see them trying to get around us, we think this person must hate me, but they're not thinking yeah. about you. They're usually just trying to survive. And I think this is a really important point when it comes to leadership. Um, when you take on the mantle of a leadership role in an organization, you attract certain energetic attention. People project certain things onto you. Um, it's not personal. Yes. You know, um, it, you know, it's not about Michael. It's not about Andrew. It's about the positions we're holding. Um, and therefore, I think there's one thing realizing that that still doesn't make a difficult day easy. Um, and so I think the question that I work with my coaches on is, how are you making time and space for reflection, for meditation, for learning? Um, how are you kind of, find, what renews you? What gives you strength? What builds you up? Um, because being in a leadership job can be very energizing. It also can be very depleting. Um, and so coming back to your values, coming back to what's really important to you, the things that give you give you energy is really is really important. I like that because when I work with clients, they often want me to review their strategy or product or something like that. But before I do that, I ask them to show me their diary. And if I don't see a lot of space to think and reflect and plan, I'm almost certain that what they're going to show me is not the best work they could have done. 
because mm-hmm. you need time to, as you say, reflect, think, ponder, pace. And then as you do those things, you start developing better work. And most people I've seen, most leaders, they almost take a pride in packing their diaries and being in meetings upon meetings upon meetings. But I don't see any time for thinking and reflecting. Mm-hmm. I agree with what you were saying. You can almost see it whereby someone is going to listen to this. And the easy thing they can do is to set aside time in their diary to reflect and start truly listening to people. But 99% of people listening to this are not going to make those changes. They're just going to be no. trying to be as productive as possible. Yeah. And I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges we face today, that we know that a busy mind and a busy schedule doesn't give you the capacity to think about complexity. It doesn't give you the capacity to make decisions, particularly if you're tired at the end of the day, that's not the time to make complex decisions. Um, And what I found in the research I did on transformation is that nearly always companies that are successful at this, they recognize the status quo isn't working, and then they temporarily detach from the status quo. What do I mean by that? Practically, they go on retreat. Um, They spend two or three days or three or four days reflecting that they're in what I would call a mode of being rather than a mode of doing. And, And that is difficult when you're in a leadership role. It's difficult when your time is valuable. Um, um, but I think, you know, more and more people are starting to understand that. It doesn't make it easy. Um, but that that process of slowing down and the tools that we can use to slow down, like mindfulness or yoga or walking in nature, um, you know, I often, you know, when I'm running a, a leadership retreat, I give people a difficult question and I send them out for a walk together. Um, because there's something about walking in nature which lends itself I think to being in a more reflective space I've developed certain meditations and visualizations that quickly get to a, a deeper conversation and a deeper level of honesty um, one particular question that I use is tell me what you're not talking about that you need to talk about um, I like that. or uh, or tell me what you always talk about but never resolve and those two questions really tap into the conscious, the subconscious and the semi-conscious things that are, are of concern. And, and there's something cathartic about getting those onto, um, onto the table. And so, you, you know, you can start the process of, 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 of working through the challenges that arise from the answers. No, I have a maxim that I follow in my life and I teach it to my team and clients as well. Do not make a decision until you know the person. Until you know the person's culture, what drives them, how they do things, you're never going to have the best relationship with them. So you talk about going for a walk, which I think is a powerful way to do things, especially when you can be exposed to new ideas and so on. The other thing I do with my team is we play basketball twice a day. And the reason for this is very interesting because the first game starts at 6.30 in the morning. Just by seeing who turns up at 6.30, I know who are the early risers. Just by looking at how they play the game, I understand their commitment levels, their drives, how they respond to challenges. It tells me so many things about them that when I start talking to them in the office, I have a much better understanding of who they are. It's things they wouldn't tell me because they don't know to tell me, but just by watching who pursues that ball the most, 
Who's gets tires the most? Who's most committed to it? And again, there's nothing wrong with not being committed, not chasing the ball. But by knowing these things about them, I have a very good understanding of how they're going to work in the office. And that changed my perspective on the way I manage my teams. It's a different way. I don't know if it works for everyone, but I found it works amazingly for me. Yeah. And I think you've got to find what the answer is. But, you know, you're you're getting into a, a different situation. You're able to observe them. My guess is they're going to tell you things in and around the basketball court that they're not going to tell you in the office. They're more exactly. relaxed. Their guards down. Um, they probably beat you sometimes. Um, yes, that's so true. It, it, it disrupts that what let's call it the hierarchy or the ego yeah. structure. Um, and, and it creates a greater openness. Um, and um, I think there's something to be said for, you, you know, doing those types of activities together, um, which are really powerful ways of building social capital amongst a group of people. Yeah, it's interesting, because when we think about leadership, it's often not always, but most of leadership is about getting people to do something to get a company to achieve a goal. But linking back to what you said about truly listening, a major part of it is about understanding the people with whom you are working. I think that leaders should spend more time doing that rather than just trying to optimize assets in the business. Yeah, I think there's a profound shift taking place, actually, with the people that really get this. Um, if you think about the world that most of us have grown up in um, and the world we've inherited, those of us who work in, in large in, in, in large organizations, um, the, the metaphor of the machine has been very dominant through the 20th century yes. and is leaving a legacy in the 21st century. Um, and so a lot of the management techniques we use a lot of the approaches that have developed have come from the car industry and what happened in the 50s and the 60s and in, through the Industrial Revolution. Um, and it essentially was, you know, creating organizations that are like machines, so business processes um, and the use of IT, etc. But what we're becoming more and more aware of is that in many ways, it's the people that give us the real competitive advantage to a greater or lesser extent, depending on what kind of industry you're in. Yes. Um, and getting the best out of people um, and getting people involved and passionate about change where the momentum and the, lo- and the locus of, of decision-making often is, is, is coming down the hierarchy um, is, a, is a very powerful way of working. Um, and, you know, I think there are some people that are really starting, some leaders who are really starting to understand this, and they're seeing their, their organization as a constellation of human energy. Um, and that energy can be depressed, or it can be excited, it can be focused, or it can be dispersed. Um, and the job of leadership is really about harnessing that individual human energy and emotion and focusing it. And, and most people find that hugely motivating purposeful it makes work an interesting place to go to and ultimately it delivers um, transformation and it delivers high performance yes it's a pity that the media especially tends to focus on the product and the leader has having revived the company and we often almost never hear about the innovative work done to organize an organization to create the product in the first place. For example, yep. when Apple came up with a string of product hits, the focus was on the product 
and Steve Jobs, but not how the company was organized, how people were motivated to do that impressive work. And I think there's a, maybe there needs to be a reset in the way the media explores these stories. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, certain things are just much more interesting. It's much more interesting when there's a crisis of leadership, where there's, yes. a, you know, there's drama around a person, where a company's, you know, going through a huge crisis. Um, and then, you know, on the upside, the focus on the amazing products. But, you know, what I'm interested in is what causes that. I'm interested in why is it that some companies are able to get more success with their transformation and their strategic um, initiatives than others? Um, why are some places considered amazing places to work and other places not so much? Um, yes. these, 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 this for me is the, are the really interesting questions. And in my previous career, I used to be a senior partner in strategy. I used to specialize in the resources sector and state-owned enterprises. In resources especially, you have two companies who are mining the same ore. The price is set in the market. There should be no differences in the company's performances, right? You've got, they're mining the same product. It's sold into the same market at the same price. But you'd find two companies who organize themselves completely differently and achieve totally different results. And it's not about the product and the leader, it's about the way they've organized themselves. And you can see that even if you're in the same market, doing the same thing, you can have completely different outcomes based on the way you manage your people. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think therefore you've controlled for the market price, therefore the, the, you know, the, the, the income, um, you've controlled for the product, so you're really able to see what the differentiating factor is, which is in how the organization is led, the culture that the leaders create, um, and therefore how motivated and engaged the workforce feel. Yes, absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much. That was such a uplifting conversation. I appreciate you making the time to be on the podcast. Not at all. Wonderful to talk. We're going to release this soon. And it would be great to have you back in a year or so to follow up on some of your new research. That would be very, very good. Um, I'd love to come back and love to talk more. Thank you, Andrew. We'll be in touch. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.